1: This is high-level wisdom for new generation leaders. We interview senior-level baby boomers who share their stories, insights, and how-tos for the emerging leadership of millennials. Our mission is to celebrate their accomplishments and aid in preserving their business knowledge. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Hey, everybody. Welcome to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. This is episode 12. And today you are going to get an opportunity to hear from a very unique CEO who would, I would actually call the CEO of CEOs. He is a part of Vistage International. That is a CEO network. And he is the chair of his particular chapter. Uh, just a little bit about Mark before we even get to hear uh, his perspective. He's been the president and CEO of North American Trust Company. He's been the director of wealth uh, for Montecito Bank and Trust. He's been a director of research and consulting. And for the last five or so years, he has been the CEO, CEO, so to speak. And so I'm really, really excited about what you're going to hear today. You're going to learn a lot about uh, his vision, the way he sees uh, not only leadership, but how millennials can play a huge role. Role in that. Thank you guys so much. Feel free to share this episode. This is going to be a very high-rich content episode. I hope you take notes. Without further ado, please listen to my friend and guest, Mark Fingerland, Vistage Chair International. Take a listen. How are you today, Mark?
2: Well, Chris, I'm fine. Thank you. And I just appreciate the time to be with you here this afternoon.
1: Absolutely. Well, listen, here's what I would like to do. Many folks on our audience know that uh, we're always talking about uh, and pulling, uh, you know, and having lots of different conversations with different people. So, uh, Mark, what I would like to do is, if you don't mind, just take a couple of minutes, uh, let everyone kind of know about, you know, how you got started in your in your corporate career, how you, you know, some of the things that that you've done uh, uh, up to get you even to this point, And then, you know, just a little bit about your background, and, and and how you ended up in, in, in such a, a very, uh, what I would consider a very influential position, but you were also sitting at the table with uh, CEOs from around the country, and I'm sure even sometimes around the world.
2: Well, Chris, uh, thank you for that. And there's a compliment in there, and I appreciate that. Whether I'm worthy of it all remains to be seen, but uh, my career started you know, over 40 years ago. Actually, as a summer intern uh, between my junior and senior year in college, I was had always worked out in either summer camps or lifeguards, and thought to me that that was not going to be a career path forever. And I better learn to find out what all these people did that got on a train in my hometown and rode to someplace else and came back. And I did that, and was a intern for the Bank of New York on Wall Street, uh, America's oldest bank, and still America's oldest bank. And uh, started to back in those days, uh, actually. Post uh, debits and credits to ledgers uh, using an ink, a, a ballpoint pen. So it's kind of interesting. Computers hadn't even come into the workplace yet. So that was the start. And here I am, you know, 45, almost 50 years later. Actually, it'll be 50 years next year. Uh, later, looking back on all that, and as you say, sharing groups of CEOs and helping them become better leaders to make better decisions and get better results.
1: Absolutely. Well, your perspective is, is really invaluable. And one of the things that I, I find, uh, pretty cool about, uh, where you've come from is your background is, is not only allowed you to be in some, to go from being an injured individual contributor to, to, to leading teams and then eventually leading companies and, and, and making decisions at a very high level. I, I'm also interested, uh, in, in your thoughts and perspective because, You've also seen the tide in the in the workforce as well. Uh You've seen the shift from probably what it what it felt like and what probably felt very normal and in uh, every day ish to you, <laughs> um uh, you know, many years ago to now. It's a it's a it's a it's a different work environment doesn't make it uh, good or bad. It's just a, a very different perspective. So I- I'd like to just kind of, you know, let's start out this way. Tell me a little bit about what the workforce looked like 20, 30 years ago and what differences that you see in today's workforce and and when did you kind of notice that the shift starting to
2: happen. Interesting questions let me let me take you back just a decade earlier. It was just something triggered when I was listening to your discussion uh, description there. And I was just thinking about when I started on Wall Street And in fact, I'm thinking about some young women who were starting about the same time they had graduated from prestigious colleges. And uh, their career path in working in the same group of uh, investment folks that I was working with, their career path was limited to being either a secretary or administrative assistant. And it was made quite clear to them that thank you for being here. We'd love to have you, but you'll never become one of the account executives. I can still remember the gal who became the first one who broke that barrier. Wow. And said, hey, I'd like to be an account executive. And the senior management said, yeah, you're great. You should be one as well. And we often talk about Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball. There's other barriers that people have broken along the way. And I just think about Laurie being one of those people in uh, basically about 1968. Wow. So to your point about what does workforce look like and Uh, I'm the father of a daughter and the grandfather of three granddaughters, as well as a grandson and obviously a son uh, in in, in my daughter's generation, uh, our own son. Uh, So as I look at, you know, fairness in the workforce, opportunity in the workforce, uh, certainly seen changes, some of which are maybe not as radically recognized as others and maybe more so. Sure topic of our conversation this afternoon obviously belies us to one more of generational change and that's clearly you know I'm, I am part of a large generation that uh, eclipsed uh, our parents the greatest generation if we'd like to refer to them and then uh, saw kind of a, a narrowing of of entrance with generation x and then uh, moving to generation y and the millennials which were part of this conversation this afternoon so i think as i look back at the workforce uh, and the changes in it um, I've seen more opportunity. Uh, I've also seen uh, op- whether opportunity is demand driven or or, or need driven. By demand, I mean by the by the employer, or need driven by the employee. I see a lot more working couples uh, or working spouses. Uh, I see in, in many households as almost a mandated. Where at one point it might have been. Not a luxury, but well, some part-time income to cover some 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 luxuries in our household. Now it's a virtually a necessity. I'm not going to pine down the down the path of whether it's good or bad, as you pointed out. It's the way it is. It's change, and we always have change. So that's one of the changes, and that brings obviously a larger workforce. That larger workforce has to be employed, and how that affects labor and economics is another area we'll probably avoid, but we also look at it, say, the more labor that's available, uh, the lower the wage we need to employ them. And just exactly how that's all shaken out, I can't quite tell you, but I would tell you as an economist, it has an impact.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, that, that's an interesting perspective. And, and you're right. Um, you know, um, it, it's a dynamic that you bring up because, uh, the, the entrance of, of many folks. And what was the lady's name again that you mentioned who broke that barrier in your office?
2: Her first name was Laura.
1: So Laura, thank you wherever you are today for, for, for standing up and, and being willing to, um, to, to say, Hey, this is something I would like to do because it is, it is definitely ushered not only just from a workforce standpoint. I mean, we are in, you know, sports and every other area, which is, which has been awesome. I, I'm also, uh, as you, as you were talking about that, you know, both parents working in the, in the workforce. You also have, you also mentioned, you know, the generations that you have, you know, now that, that you're looking at inside of your, your family line. When you started noticing the millennial coming of age, the, and let's just even talk about the older millennial now, that person who's 25 to 35, who's in the workspace now, they're, they're climbing the ladder. What, maybe, what sort of slight changes, maybe, did you notice about their approach to corporate, their approach to entrepreneurship that was a little different than it was maybe 40 years ago?
2: Well, That's an area that's been topics of lots of seminars, a lot of research. Uh, I'll share my perspective. And, and actually, by the way, for those millennials, I, I hate to disappoint them, but they're no longer the newest entry into the workforce because the first graduates, college graduates, have. Generation Z are going into the workforce this year, and therefore, we'll get to understand what they're all about. And they're the ones who have started to come of age and starting to graduate from college as 22-year-olds. Some of whom, by the way, are already millionaires and started businesses. (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. But apparently have some different trends. They do like to work in private offices. They're not quite so happy to have large work areas, as, as the early sociologists tell us. And um, they do like human interaction as opposed to everything being done by text. So I thought that was going to an interesting change. We're just starting to lean in one direction to find something else, which is why we have to be agile, nimble people, and certainly as leaders to deal with the people that we try to lead, how we're going to influence them. But to your very specific question, what have I noticed as we're going to talk about the millennials? And you and I covered this, talked about this a bit, so I'll try to remember those, those same points to touch them here couple of things that define the baby boomer generation that I don't believe defines the millennial generation. Baby boomer generation, whether we'd like to or not, there's still a sense of shared sacrifice. We saw some of that from our parents, and for some of the baby boomers, it would be their grandparents or maybe their great-grandparents, and those are the folks who went through the Depression, went through World War II. That whole generation, baby boomers are basically known as having gone through Vietnam either willfully, unwillfully, or some people reacting to it. But that 60s generation coming of age uh, and into the 70s uh, set some different different tones. But one thing that was set there still, which was also a big part of my career, was you didn't necessarily have to worry about who you worked for when you graduated from college. It was what color uniform you were going to wear. The draft was still part of your decision-making. Wow. And whether you liked it or not, it was part of your decision-making. And we sometimes kind of look at, kind of quizzically at people say, well, this is what I'd like to do because there's no mandate of saying, well, wait a minute, somebody already has a plan for you whether you like it or not. Wow. And there's a sense of freedom there that I think there are some folks in, the, in my generation look at this, but boy, that'd be nice. I can't identify it. That was so nice. So, you know, gee, what do I want to do when I'm 22 years old or 19 years old? as opposed to what someone else has a plan for me. Uh, in my case, it, it actually became, a, I got to wear a blue uniform and had gold on it. I was a naval officer for a number of years. Navy taught me to fly airplanes, so I was a naval aviator. It marked some parts of my career. I've used the leadership training of that immensely and used great stories from it. And uh, as I look back as saying, gee, it seemed like a natural thing to do, and I've only learned over the years how much more difficult that is for other people. And that, without being an elitist, it's just saying, yes, and it's a differentiator. It's a piece of your life character. I don't know that, as I look at millennials, that they all have necessarily a whole lot of these life character building opportunities. For some reason or other, you know, societies change, and it's always interesting. Does society the mold its members or the members mold the society? And I'll leave that to the philosophers to debate. <laughs> the issues where, you know, we don't see as many participants in what we used to see as leadership training, whether it's Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, youth sports. Youth sports are highly organized. You're either in it or you're not. Uh, much more parental involvement, the whole aspect of the helicopter parent and knowing where your kids are. My grandchildren will roll their eyes and we start. My, my wife will tell us some of the same stories. We used to go out and play. Our parents all they knew as we were going to be back when the streetlights came on. They had no idea where we were. Exactly ride your bike across town uh, to the next county or whatever and they you know they figured if they didn't hear from the sheriff it must be okay uh then if they did hear from the sheriff uh, you were in big trouble and when i had some neighbors they would ring a an iron triangle somebody else had like a fire bell not far from their house our rule was the street lights are on you better be home that's right and that was it my My daughter and certainly my daughter-in-law would be aghast if their kids left the house to go anywhere. Maybe they're in the house next door and they didn't know exactly where they're going, when they were going. And and by the way, each one of those grandkids have a cell phone
1: to call. That's right.
2: And as we used to remind them, you know, and they also can be GPS tracking devices. So if you don't call, we can find out where you are anyway. (laughs) So, you know, we we chuckle at these things, but these become demonstrable differences and it creates a much different view of things. And then they would bring these into the workplace. So I say, how do we manage these differences? Well, first, we have to recognize two things. A, these are differences that have to be managed. And B, in many cases, they're generalities, which in generality means it's true a lot of the times, but it's also not true all of the time. So for every one of these traits we talk about, we can also imagine an exception that says, no, that person's not that way. That doesn't mean the generalization is wrong. It just means that there are examples that would tell us why it's only a generalization and not a fact, not a rule. And we have to remind those things. So but what are those generalizations? Yeah, there's a sense of shared sacrifice. Uh, harder sometimes to get teams to work together in agreement and have a leader. It's interesting, and certainly the work I do now spans generations, and it's interesting how many now millennials I have in some of these groups who are CEOs who are trying to understand what this leadership thing is all about because they haven't experienced it anyplace else. They don't have role models that they want to follow after, and they're looking for places to find the answers. And I'm not trying to do a commercial. I'm just saying it's an example of things where we see that things have changed and yet the desire to become a better leader remains the same it's a different set of inputs uh the other thing that i see and i think it's that it, it, it's a shame and we lose it because it, when we, as we lose this we tend to lose some of the color that makes us who we are is a uh, lack of history millennials that i know can't imagine life before a cell phone and yet even the first place my wife and i rented when we were newly married back in the uh, 70s, still had a dial-up phone that we had to call an operator to call out of the little town we lived in, and Mabel literally sat on the front porch of her house and would connect us to another part of the Bell Tull system that would allow, allow us to make a call beyond our own local neighborhood area. The concept, you know, when was the last time you used a pay phone? Right. And yes, for, for many of us, even in business, we wouldn't think about going out to go make business calls without taking a pocket full of quarters, so we could call in and check in what else is going on in the office. But the other piece of the history that's lost, and it really struck me about two months ago, when I was pointing out to a group of people of, of, of young business leaders the passing of John Glenn, and I could tell they had no idea who John Glenn was. I said, "This is sad," and and it's not as much an indictment of them, isn't it? It is an indictment of a an education system, and a society. Who doesn't recognize the value of the shoulders of the giants we all stand on?
1: You know, you now you bring up something so key to the mission of why I started this podcast. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so glad to uh, come across you and, and be able to have an initial conversation and have you today here today. Because one of the things that I believe we do not do a good job of is learning to celebrate people uh no matter where i go no matter the things that i hear i'm i'm always struck by you know I, i've i've asked plenty of people when when they raise their hand you know when when susan raises her hand and says hey i'm retiring the first thing that happens is people go oh crap because susan knows the old archaic system in the corner that 80% of our stuff is still building on and <laughs> you know what do we do and we spend most of the time while she's still there extracting and, and putting a straw in her brain and getting everything out that we can. And then she kind of walks away with a gold pin or a watch and that's it. And as opposed to, i just feel like what we don't do is we don't have an appreciation and i love the way you said it of the shoulders that we're standing on uh, one of the reasons why you're on this podcast is because i believe that it is important that somebody we as as high level wisdom for new generation leaders appreciate you because we are standing on your shoulders uh you've worked in the workforce you've watched it change you've been a part of the change and now we have you to leverage to ask questions and i I think it's so, so important that we learn to appreciate people. So even this show exists for, for, for anybody who wants to, uh, appreciate a mark in their life. Uh, somebody who's done it, who's got the gold star, who's got the fifth gold star and, and now can share their wisdom, uh, with, with others. It is so, so important. I just appreciate you, you know, you saying that because, um, I think we've got to do a better job inside of the workforce of, actually celebrating people and their accomplishments.
2: Well, th- thank you for that and for recognizing that. Uh, and let's talk about a cause and effect. What happens when we don't do that? Because we, again, we're talking about perceptions of, of generations from one to the other. And one of the things that we, that I think is a cause and effect, because within the millennial generation, and it's easy to pick on them, they seem to be the, you know, the target of, of not the target, but the subject of the conversation of what are the differences here? Because there's not necessarily a great sense of history that's come before them. They somehow think man always walked on the moon. We've always had satellites, et cetera. And we've also migrated in many cases to getting all of our information from social media, whether it's correct or not. We then come along into kind of laying down some behaviors as if this is the first time everything and something was ever done. I discovered it. It's great. You know, you should help me celebrate this. We can look at it and say, well, wait a second, you know, either this this has been done before, it's not, you know, this is not new, or yes, you've done it, but it's, you know, it's okay, but it's not just the single sole great idea of the world. And we can celebrate your accomplishment for what you've done, but at the same time, other people have been doing great things for a long time. Absolutely. We just have to, some find ways to balance that. I think baby boomers sometimes push back and say, well, you know, that's nothing great, you know and somebody's expecting a trophy because they showed up for work today. And the flip side is they have done something really good, and we need to take time and acknowledge and applaud it. So one of the things that I, I do with uh, my groups is, as they meet monthly, and I bring them all together, and they're basically there to support each other and and, and provide the agenda-free objective advice that they're, uh, they're needing so much because it doesn't exist anyplace else for them, is to take time periodically and just go around the table and have them acknowledge what they value in the person sitting across the table from them. That's great. You know, Chris, I value you because if you weren't here today, this is what I would miss. And we do that so rarely. You talk about Mabel in the corner, you know, getting ready to retire. When was the last time we told Mabel what we valued her for besides her knowledge of the old system sitting over there that no one else could run? Exactly. What you know? What's the favor? The fabric, the spice she brings into the office community. Does someone else will have to provide. And, you know, maybe there's those who are happy to see her go. But how could we enrich that relationship if we talked about that before? And we don't, don't often do that. You know, And that's not a generational thing. I think that's much more a cultural thing, a marketplace thing. Uh, generations can make a change uh, of how we do it. But I don't know that we do it well at any level. We need to do it better.
1: That is so true. So you, you were as you were talking about what you've seen over time. I'm curious. You mentioned not having a choice as you came up in the workforce. It was either one way or the other. That sort of thing shaped the way baby boomers approach work after they didn't have a choice and or when they got home from the war. What do you think have been some of the life events, some of the world events, even that have shaped the way babe, uh, millennials even approach the workplace today?
2: Good question, Chris. I think as as I look at it, you know, what do I observe? I, I observe a much more of a either a blurring or a combining of of, of work, leisure, and life. Uh, we talk about work-life balance as a big thing as if these are two separate things. And we talk about that so often. And as I watch people and part of it is there is the ability for those who are a connected generation, as we often refer to millennials, they grew up with cell phones in their hands. Sometimes I think they thought they it's, it was in in intervito. In, in, in they, they were born with it. <laughs> they, you know, they were adept at doing some of these things, which are the, Prior generation or generations, certainly the baby boomers had to learn how to do. I, mean, I didn't get my first PC till I was uh, regional vice president, I was sitting on my desk. And I remember having to explain to my secretary what a word processor was. She was adept at te- typing on her IBM speedball machine, but couldn't understand why in the world we, you know, I would ever need a, a word processor because that's what she did. So, for people who are now ready to type out messages 184 characters at a time, can't quite understand why you would put an inside address in a letter. So, so where, you know, where we're going back to your point, of what are the changes we've seen? Is much more of a combining of work and life, and that's good and it's bad. The bad is, you know, when I when I have some of my my group members sending me emails on Sunday afternoon, I know that. Unless they've made it made some sort of pact with their family, they're not having a lot of family time that Sunday afternoon. Wow. And my rule my rule is I don't reply to those things till after seven o'clock at night. You are not going to. If I choose to interrupt my weekend, that's my choice. But I'm not going to interrupt your weekend. Now, if you're going to tell me that you're going to work Wednesdays and you're going to take Wednesdays and Thursdays off, so therefore that's your weekend, not Saturday and Sunday. Okay, that might be your preference, but it's still not mine. So the good news is people are more adept, and we learn from from millennials that that we're much more adept at being able to combine these things. And I think the part of the millennial opportunity is they're much more interested in saying, well, I shouldn't want to separate work and life. I want my work to be so meaningful to somebody, preferably me, that I shouldn't want to stop doing it. It should be exciting for me to do all the time as opposed to coming home, dropping my briefcase, flopping into the chair and saying, that, that day's over. And I think that's where some of the friction shows up once in a while. Folks are saying, on one hand, you got a group of people who say, "I can't wait for the day to be over," and you have another group of people saying, "I don't want it to be over. I'm having such a great time. I don't. I can't tell where work stop and play starts." That's not necessarily recognized by everybody.
1: Yeah, the, and you know, you bring up a very interesting point—the blending of both. Uh, I haven't heard that yet. I, I can, I can understand. I can understand that perspective because millennials are you know if if you if you're listening to this podcast and you've you're in a groove of your career, you're in a groove of your career and the place you want to work at <laughs> or you're you're in the groove of of getting on that track of where you want to go when you're getting to that place where you enjoy it it there's really no break in it. Now, I I will say this for the extremists out there. (laughs) Yes, there's the stop, work, enjoy family, which is very important. I believe in that. And Mark, to your point, you know, if I get an email at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, eh, I'm I, it's, it's, it's highly unlikely I'm going to answer it because one of the things that I do believe is that we start creating these, uh, unwritten rules of success. Uh, and it's something that I write about in, in certain workplaces. Um, certain places become so demanding that when you are handed that, uh, that, you know, corporate work phone, uh, as I like to kind of sometimes call it the golden handcuffs, it is implied that if there's something that comes through on that phone, you should either answer it or respond to it. <laughs> and so, uh, sometimes I think we got, get caught up in that, in that cycle of the unwritten rule of success. Well, you know, you know, Hey, did you get my email? And you're like, well, yeah, I did. Well, you didn't respond and you look back and you realize, Oh, it was sent on Saturday at two. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> that was the reason why I didn't respond. Right. But some people are so afraid they get to these roles and they're not afraid to, to stand up for themselves. And so those, you know, for, for people out there who may be listening and they say, well, wait a minute, you should have balance. Yes, you should. But Mark, I, I agree with your point that many of us are striving to look for and work in the thing that gives us passion. And when you have that, you know, it all is one. There's, there's that, like you mentioned, that blurring of the lines. I, I love that phrasing. Um, it is, it is so true. It, it, so, you know, I, I'm interested, Mark, in, in, in hearing more about where you see even from, from an, an experience standpoint, what, what both sides can gain from each other. And what I mean by that is baby boomers, have the wealth of knowledge and what I can, I mean, the, the true institutional knowledge that is so important for somebody like me as an older millennial who has moved up in companies and has stepped out to do their own thing. There's, there's something that you know that I'm going to always need. That's, that's always been my perspective. And it's my, my, job to sit and, and to be able to listen and establish the right relationships in my career so that, uh, not just about avoiding pitfalls <laughs> in a career, but more so about, uh, building long lasting relationships, um, inside of a, a, of a company or inside of your career, no matter what you're doing with baby boomers so that you are benefiting from their mistakes, their flaws, their stories, their insights, their wisdom, but also at the same time, I believe that boomers gain a lot as well from millennials and, and what millennials bring. Share with me what you think that emerging leaders can get from baby boomers and vice versa.
2: I think there's a couple of things that come to mind, uh, Chris. One, well, just circling back on the for just a second, the work life balance piece. I think it's important, uh, and it's something I encourage all the leaders that I work with to do is to establish some rules of engagement about communication. And if I send you an email, when do I expect a response? And if you send me an email, when do you expect me to respond? I will tell anybody. If you send me an email, I feel compelled to respond to it sometime within the next 24 hours. If you need something more immediate than that, you need to put that in the email and in the subject line or send me a text. Or better yet, pick up the phone and call me. And I don't know that we've created well, and this goes to your second question, and we can deal with this. created a set of shared expectations of what is the hierarchy of communication. I grew up in a world where the hierarchy of communication is call me on the phone. Absolutely. Well, you'll say, send me a a text. My answer (laughs) would be, why should I I send you a text, wait for you to read it, and send me an answer back? When I call you on the phone, you can answer my question on the phone because I don't answer my phone. Well, why don't you answer your phone? Because it's not important to me. Why is it not important to you? Because I will send you a text. And without creating a rule of a set of rules of engagement, we go along and have this kind of have this prolonging of the differences between the generations rather than what you're looking for, the merger, the merging and benefiting of the strengths and weaknesses, letting the strengths of one offset the weaknesses of the other. And that, if you just think about that little dialogue I just described, it emphasizes both the strengths and weaknesses on both sides. So, what do we learn here? Um, first of all, millennial, or let's go back to the other way, baby boomers need to understand that yes, they have they've been in the workplace for forty years. They may or may not have forty years of experience as relevant to anybody. Anyone who's doing anything in business or industry today, the same way they did it forty years ago, doesn't know it, but they've already gone out of business. Wow. So so you often have to ask yourself, you know, do you have really have 40 years of experience in something? Do you have four years of experience 10 times? Do you have 10 years of experience four times or one year of experience 40 times? Oh, that's good. What is it you're really bringing here that is valuable to the other people? Well, in the world of leadership, leadership development, that's constantly evolving. But someone who has truly led people for 40 years or even 10 years or even four years, Have some principles and and, and, and examples to share, some process to share that others can learn from who are aspiring to inspire others. Remember, a leader is someone who influences others. Leadership is, in fact, a verb, not a position. It's an action. So the people who have been doing the leading, assuming they're leaders because they have followers, because you can't be a leader without a follower. The people who have been doing that have that information to share. That is timeless. It's not disrupted. It's not replaced. It's not, you know, I can't outsource my leadership responsibility to India. You can't write an app that makes me a better leader. It might remind me of some clues, but I can't take your phone app and hand it to a, a, an associate and say, follow my phone. So some of these human interaction, interpersonal things that are needed to inspire others to do things they wouldn't necessarily want to do but have to do are things that are valuable that are only learned by either example or or by experience, and the experience is usually from a bad experience. I encourage people in all of my interactions is to find ways to make new mistakes. Let's be creative. Let's make new mistakes. We don't have to repeat the old mistakes. We know how they worked out. So the role here is for the baby boomer, if you will, to be able to identify what is the wisdom they have to share and to provide it in such a way that a millennial will want to absorb it and apply it, not reject it. Not everything that a baby boomer has been doing for the last 40 years is bad upside is not everything that the millennial is trying to do in a workplace and feel good about it and 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 have it industrial strength instead of instead of polished mahogany uh, and do things on a cell phone instead of on a laptop or a desktop even is bad and we want to look at okay where are the common goodness things here that makes us all stronger and that's kind of what really leadership's all about and why that's important so i, I I think that's what I have. I would answer that question. What do we get from each other? Well, we're stronger together. I think the other point I would make here, and we talk about generations and moving along. A lot of my associates, my peers, my my my, my chronological peers that are you know into their sixties and early seventies, don't imagine themselves quote unquote retiring. You know, physically they're pretty healthy. Mentally they're pretty healthy. They enjoy playing golf or tennis, fishing, whatever their recreation is. But they can do that as they want to, and they're going to be in the workforce for some time. So the concept of, you know, well, I could wait five years and those guys will retire, uh, not necessarily. They're going to be around for a while. So you're going to probably be another 15 years of the baby boomer being a shrinking place, but still a significant force in the workforce. Over that next 15 years, this Generation Z is going to rise up. That young person graduating from college this quarter is going to have 15 years of experience. They're going to be in middle management looking at senior management if we still have a vertical management system. And some of them will be the millennials' bosses. So we have to understand that this is not a, a light switch being turned off and there's going to be a passing of the baton from one generation to the other. There's a sharing of the baton. And there will be other hands wanting to share that baton as this goes along. And I would just encourage us to figure out what those hands, how do, what strength do those hands bring to that baton and how do we continue to have that happen?
1: Wow. I, I'm, I am, uh, <laughs> so glad you, you were able to do this interview. I, I'm still chewing on the idea of experience that you, that you mentioned. I, I've, I have never heard that concept and I think it's something that's important and it, it's a little empowering the way you mention it because I honestly think for the most part, most people, uh, who are older millennials who may be sitting in kind of that mid-management, you know, trying to make their way into a senior level position in a company, hear that a lot. They, they hear, you know, well, you don't have enough experience. You don't have enough experience. You don't have enough experience. And it's like, well, until I get there, how in the world am I going to get whatever that experience is that you keep saying I don't, I don't have, right? But to your point, it's a it's a very interesting perspective because four years of experience today might be just as valuable as four years experience. That was a snapshot in time as well of 1960, 1970, 1980, 1990, you know, early 2000s. So I, I love your your perspective on how we should see experience. Well, that wraps up Episode 12. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hey, feel free to share this episode. Let your friends know. Let your other coworkers know. Let other folks in your career and your space know that this is out here for all of us to be able to partake in. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can catch us on social media. We would love to hear your comments on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at High Level Wisdom. Or you can visit our website, HighLevelWisdom.com for more information and to be able to share your thoughts. Thank you guys so much. Feel free to subscribe on iTunes and Google Play as well. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Hey, do you have a product or service that could be beneficial to our audience and or the CEOs that we actually interview as guests? feel free to send us an email at info at highlevelwisdom.com and you can actually purchase ad space right here on this show.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously.